0: Those words are so true, I, as we were singing that, I um, I couldn't help but re- be reminded of what we have been going through in this book of Jonah, but um, more than that, just the difference that Jesus has made in our approach to the Father, that without Jesus, wow, how different everything would be, that without Jesus we would not be able to so boldly come before the throne of the Father. That without Jesus, we would not be able to look on His very face. That without Jesus, all of us would be sitting here today immediately under judgment with just an unbelievable sense of how can we get out of this without Jesus. I don't know about you, but I am... So grateful for Jesus. I am so grateful that Jesus, without any pressure from the Father, as what Philippians 2 tells us, took that of a lonely, or a lowly rather, uh, human being, placing himself lower than the angels to come and live the life that you and I are living now, to come and experience the very things that you and I experience, to come and do what he would ultimately do, which is to die on that cross so that you and I could look on the face of the Father. I don't know about you, but I can't think of an unbelievable plan that no one could ever think of than to say, hey, by the way, the only way that we can be saved is if God saves us. And the only way that's going to happen is the Son could come and actually do that on the cross. And by the way, only doing that willingly, not by any force. Yes, we acknowledge that when Jesus was was eventually arrested, that yes, certainly the, 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 the religious leaders and the Roman authorities and all those were certainly a part of that plan, but let me just say this, Jesus wasn't going to be arrested unless Jesus allowed himself to be arrested. This was his plan all along. And by the way, do you want to know how long that plan was in place? Go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It's called the Proto-Evangelion verse. That's a neat little theological term to say right then and there, God's plan of redemption was already moving and in place after the fall had happened. That's the good news, was already in place. Genesis 3.15, if you want to know where Jesus was already in the picture, that's it right there. Well, he was always in Genesis 1 and prior to that as well, but specifically his plan to come and save us all. So by the way, this this was not by accident. Amen? This morning we are continuing in our study through the book of Jonah. And, um, as you know, we have been looking at really God's mercy throughout this entire book. We've been looking at just the unbelievable depth of God's mercy. And not only obviously on Jonah's life, which, by the way, he really needed mercy. And by the way, just a reminder, um, if we think that it's those who need, who don't know Jesus that needs God's mercy, yes, that's very true. But by the way, we also, even after knowing Jesus, still need his mercy. I don't know about you, but humanness still tends to crawl into things that we think we have overcome, but man, our sinful nature still pops up every once in a while, and it's like, oh, I need your mercy, Jesus, once more. And by the way, I don't know about you, but that ought to humble us. We are no better than anyone else. Even after knowing Jesus, we just know the difference. We really aren't any better than anyone else, right? Right? I don't know about you, but if you go through any level of schooling, hopefully what you gain from any level of schooling, if you've gone from high school to college and maybe on after that, is that you discover that really what you learn in schooling is how much you don't know. That's what you really know. And that really just ought to be a humbling experience. Right? I had a professor once, he he told us, and I've shared this before, I'll share it again, when I was in cemetery, seminary. um, He uh, He said this, he said, now listen to all of you who are planning on being pastors. You are getting a Master's of Divinity degree. Now think about that just for a moment. You are getting a paper that says you have mastered all that is divine. He said, oh no, no, what you've simply done is that you have simply, simply have met the qualifications of the amount of hours and classes that you needed to meet to get that piece of paper, but you have not mastered all that is divine and you never will. Right, You never will master all that is divine. If you ever encounter someone, a Christian or a pastor or otherwise, who says that they know everything or claim to know everything or have an answer for everything, they're fooling themselves. They're fooling themselves. And Jonah thought that very very way. He thought he had it all mastered. He thought he knew how God should respond and ought to respond. And then when God showed up differently, he couldn't quite kind of merged those two pictures together. And as a result, he ended up fleeing. He ended up becoming disobedient. He ended up going the opposite way of what God wanted him to do. He ended up, instead of going east, he went west. And instead of sharing a gospel of mercy, he tried to now involve other people in his problems. And instead of sh- sharing mercy, they, he was instead showing mercy. Today... We come to the story after Jonah has now finally been eaten, well, rather swallowed by a fish, and now spit out, and now is told by God once again to go and share to the people of Nineveh what I am going to tell you to share, that we now get to see the response of the Ninevites to this message. And it's an unbelievable response, as we're going to find out. But what I think is so fascinating... About This passage and what I think is so unique about this is that as we've been going through this book and as we've been looking at God's mercy today We're going to actually take a look at how does God's mercy work and it's not the only way that God's mercy works but it is a way that God's mercy works And today I want us to see how that mercy works and by the way it might cause us or some of us to rather kind of wrestle with some things about God and how he acts and how he responds that may not necessarily match up with how we think he should respond or how we think he should act. And I shared this before, I'll share it again. God will not be in any any way just, you know, captivated or captured by whatever box we want to put him in. Whatever God we think we have in mind, we may be somewhat right But there may be aspects of what we think God is like or should be like that are absolutely opposite. And then sometimes what happens is God intervenes in some way in our life and we have to make a decision. Do we change our perspective of God or do we continue to hold on to the way that God we thought we should have in our own life and the way that we made up God to be in our own life and hold on to that one? One leads to idleness, the other will lead to life. That's what Jonah's journey was all about here so far. This God that he had in his mind was not the God that he encountered, and therefore he had to make a decision. Am I going to follow the God that I have now encountered, or am I going to still follow the God that I've made up in my own mind? That's a very, very hard thing to decide. So today, we are going to take a look at how does mercy work. And specifically, what is one particular way that mercy works and it's a beautiful way that mercy works. It's a very simple way, but a very powerful way. And not only does it work here in this passage that we're gonna look at, but I believe it works also in every single one of our lives. And we need to grasp, I believe, this very simple understanding of how mercy can work. Lamentations chapter three, verses this is not the passage I'm gonna be preaching out of today, but I wanted to share this as a reminder. Lamentations chapter 3 verses 22 through 23 says this. The Lord's acts of mercy indeed what? Do not end. Let me say that again. The Lord's acts of mercy indeed do not end. This side of heaven, His acts of mercy do not end. I need us to grasp this this morning. For his compassion does not fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I want us to keep in mind that passage as we go to this passage in Jonah. Because I believe this passage gives us great insight into how God responds here in this passage that we're going to take a look at in Jonah to the Ninevites. And what happens here. And also, as such, gives us an insight into how God's mercy can and does work. Okay? So are you ready for this? Here it is. And we're going to just go through this with this very simple statement. If I truly repent. That's what I'm going to start off with this morning. If I truly repent. Now here's what I mean by this. Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, says this. Now Jonah has walked around the city. He has shared the message, and this is what happens. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, removed his robe from himself, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the dust or ashes And when he issued, and he issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, no person, animal, herd, or flock is to taste anything. They are not to eat or drink water, but every person and animal must be covered with sackcloth. And people are to call on God vehemently. And they are to turn each one from his evil way and from the violence which is in their hands. And here is the hope. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. Now, now, understand what's going on here. Jonah, who did not want to go here, Jonah, who did not want to deliver this message, delivers a very simple message. Hey, in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed or it's going to be overturned, or you're going to have to turn around. Either way, in 40 days, some bad things are going to happen unless you respond to this message. And guess what happened? Nineveh responded. Praise Jesus. Unbelievable. People responded. And how did they respond? They repented. Now, We think about this word repented. If you've been in church for any length of time, we understand this word possibly. We know this word. We've heard this word. What does repentance mean? We know what this repentance means. Oftentimes what this specific word means is to turn around, means to oftentimes go back to your place of origin, wherever you came from, go back there kind of thing. It means that whatever direction you are going in, do a 180 and go back. Stop going in that, that direction you've been going in. Turn around. Head the opposite way. But I love that. Going back to the point of origin. Where you came from. Go back there. Before you went on this journey that led you down this path that wasn't very good, that was in fact very ungodly, very dangerous, very sinful, and led to all of this brokenness and despair and all of these bad things that were happening. And by the way, why did the Ninevites respond so powerfully to this message. There may have been many reasons why. Historians have thought that during this time, Nineveh had gone through some pretty significant calamities. They had gone through famine. They were having a lot of um, kind of civil war going on. Uh, There was a lot of uh, inner turmoil that was happening. It was not a very good time. And all of a sudden, this prophet comes into their city and says, hey, guess what? Um... Yeah, in 40 days, you're either going to be overthrown unless you turn around. And perhaps they were ripe to hear that message in that way. Perhaps they were ready now, after trying whatever they were trying, to finally say, you know what? We really do need to do something different here. Perhaps this God that Jonah is talking about is right. And if so, we need to stop what we are doing and completely repent. We need to go back. We need to turn around. We need to do things Differently And how do we know that they repented? Three things they did that shows repentance. They put on sackcloth, which was, by the way, kind of made of goats' hair. It was not a comfortable garment. It was itchy. It was not very comfortable to wear. You didn't want to wear it all the time. Um, they sat in ashes, at least the king did and they fasted. They didn't eat anything. they didn't drink anything. What was that all to signify? Basically, those things are very, very common to signify true repentance in the sense that you now all of a sudden in humility recognize that you have done things wrong and that you are just cut to the heart about it. You are so broken that you put on sackcloth and you sit in ashes reminding yourself that from ashes I came to ashes I will return. And then you fast, hoping, praying, Jesus, please, don't punish me. God, please don't take your wrath out on me. God, please spare my life. You are begging. You are pleading. You are hoping that God doesn't follow through on what he said he would do. Now, let me say this. In the Christian faith, repentance is incredibly important. In fact, it's one of the three pillars of the Christian faith. Prayer, the other one, acts of kindness and good deeds, the third one. But repentance That is incredibly important. We know this as Christians, that in order for us to follow Jesus, we have to turn around. We have to go back. We have to stop what we are doing and actually turn around and go the opposite way. We know this. This is incredibly important. Whenever someone wants to accept Jesus Christ, one of the things that oftentimes is shared is that you need to repent of your what? What does that mean? Turn around. Stop doing that. And not only that, repenting of that means being sorry for what you did do. Not just on the surface level, sorry, oh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But to actually really mean it. And the way that they show that the Nevites really meant it is that they actually sat in ashes. They put on sackcloth and they fasted. How many of us really are truly sorry for the sins that we have committed? When I was early on married, I said sorry a lot. And I confess this later on to Lori. You know why I said sorry a lot? Because I didn't want to have hard conversations. I wanted to get out of it. I wanted to avoid it. And so I would just say, I'm sorry. Case closed. Doesn't solve anything. That's not true um, repentance. Repentance. That is not truly being sorry. If we are sorry just because we don't want to have to go down that road to think about the sins we have committed, the hurts that we have caused, the pain that we have caused, the things that we have done wrong, if all we want to do is to say sorry so we can get out of it, that is not true repentance. You and I have to face the stuff we did. We have to face the stuff we did, which is why even after accepting Jesus, Forgiveness is there. We have forgiveness, but forgiveness doesn't erase consequences. It simply doesn't. We have to face the things that we have done wrong, but the difference this time is that when we turn around and go the opposite way is that Jesus is now walking with us. He is walking with us. We know this. We know this. Repentance is absolutely crucial. But not only that, repentance also signifies worth. Also signifies worth. It signifies how you and I are worthy in God's eyes. How much we are worth. Let me just give you a little demonstration of that. I asked someone today if they had any cash on them because I don't carry cash. So this person gave me 20 bucks. Thank you. I have cash now. How many of you would like 20 bucks? I don't know. I, I'd like 20 bucks. You can buy a lot of stuff with 20 bucks, can't you? That's a lot of um iTunes music, that's a lot of movies. You know, 599 movies, that's you know, you can get some groceries and go out to lunch, whatever it is. Um that's that's a lot of you can you can get a lot of stuff with this. And and no wonder, I'm, I hope all of us would at least want twenty dollars. Now here's the thing. What if I and I've already folded it. Right? Now, what if I did this? How many of you would still want $20? Really? Really? Why? Now, what if I did this? What if I did this to the $20? What if I did that? How many of you would like 20 dollars? Seriously? Seriously, you'd still want this. Honestly, what if I wrote on it just now? How many of you would still want 20 dollars? What if I ripped it up? How many would still want it? Why? Why do you, this is crumpled up. I've stepped on it. I'll probably even eat this. And would you want it still? I won't go that far. How many of you would want this still? Why? It's still worth 20 bucks. Let me share this. This is really important to understand about repentance. We sometimes, I think, as Christians, and maybe more than that as human beings, think that if we have to apologize, that we now are less valuable. That if we have to go the opposite way, that what we have done before means that we now define by what we did before, and therefore we are not as valuable in God's eyes. And let me just say this, no matter how ripped up, wrinkled, crinkled, spit out, trampled on, whatever it is, We are more valuable than this $20 bill. And all of you shared today, you want this $20 bill regardless. Unbelievable. The Ninevites showed repentance. I love what Thomas Merton said. He was a a great spiritual father, if you will. He said this, but the man who is not afraid to admit everything that he sees to be wrong with himself, and yet recognizes that he may be the object of God's love precisely because of his shortcomings, can begin to be sincere. His sincerity is based on confidence, not in his own illusions about himself, but in the endless, unfailing mercy of God. How many of us think that if we are going ahead and confess things that we have done wrong, that we're going to get more in trouble for it? I, I get that. We live in a society today that if we, if we confess too much, guess what can happen to us? We can get sued. Right? I get that. So, you, 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 you know, you talk to a lawyer and you say, well, how much can I say and apologize for without being legally responsible for it? Right? I, I get that. Because I think sometimes the more we confess the more we think we're going to be in trouble. But not in light of God's mercy. is that the more we confess, our value doesn't go down. In fact, it never changes. We are just as valuable in God's eyes before this happened as we are now after it has happened. So those things that we fear when it comes to sharing and repenting and apologizing for things that we have done we as Christians ought to know firsthand that it's going to be just fine. In fact, not only should we do that, it is an act that is necessary for us to do that because that shows that we are truly repentant of what we have done. Truly repentant. The Ninevites grasped this concept. Now, there are theological discussions. Did they really accept God? Because the word God here is the word Elohim and not Yahweh, it's the generic term for God. It doesn't matter here. What matters is the fact is that they recognize that what they were doing was wrong, and perhaps the reason why they were doing these things were leading to the calamities they were facing, and we've got to do something different. We've got to change course. And you know what? This God has given us a warning and has given us an opportunity. We're going to take it. We are going to take it. And there are examples throughout Scripture of people who have truly repented. I was thinking about King Hezekiah, which, if you know that name, Hezekiah, people oftentimes use that name as a way to kind of trip you up about a book of the Bible. They say, turn to Hezekiah chapter 3. There is no book Hezekiah. Okay? There is a king who was named Hezekiah, king of Israel. But one day, Isaiah the prophet comes to King Hezekiah and says this on behalf of the Lord and says, King Hezekiah, get your affairs in order because you are going to die. At this time, Hezekiah was ill, he was mortally ill, and he knew he was probably going to die. And the reason why this was happening is because there was a falling out between Isaiah the prophet and King Hezekiah. There was a break in the relationship, and God wanted to have that relationship in many ways mended because God wanted to reach Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, secondly, didn't have an heir to the throne. Yet. And so Hezekiah responded by turning his face towards the wall while he was laying in bed and just cried out to God, Please, God, don't do this. Please have mercy on me. I am so sorry for what I have done. I am so sorry for this brokenness that I have caused. I am so sorry for this. And Isaiah is told by God, Go back to him and tell him, No, I'm not going to do that right now. You're going to live another 15 years. And in that time, Hezekiah married Isaiah's daughter. And they had a child, Manasseh, who would eventually become king. He was a terrible king, but he nonetheless became king. He was horrible. But nonetheless, we think of Zacchaeus, and I shared this last week, a man who was a tax collector who was desperate to see Jesus, and after encountering Jesus, repents and comes out and says, if I have robbed you, I'm going to pay you back several times over. And not only that, I'm going to give away a great deal of my wealth. He didn't just say, I'm sorry. He actually coupled that with action and said, as a result of what I have done, I'm going to try to correct it. Think of the prodigal son who was all of a sudden out in that distant land and he was looking at the pods that he was feeding the pigs. Imagine a Jewish man feeding pigs. You want to talk about a career that is the lowest of the low that a Jewish person would never have hoped to ever be or, or to ever do was to feed pigs for a living. And yet this Jewish man is feeding pigs and he's looking at the pods that they are eating and he says, those pods look so good, I wish I could have some of that. Not only is he feeding pigs, he wants to have what the pigs are eating. How low can you go? And he repents and he goes back home, goes back to his place of origin. And instead of being judged, what happens? The father embraces him. And not only does the father embrace him, he puts sandals on his feet and a ring back on his finger, which is not a sign of a servant, which is what he just wanted at the very least. Just make me a servant. I don't care. I'll live better than I I am out here. Just make me a servant. No, no, no. The father does more than that. He reinstates him as his son. That's what he does. That's what God does. bible is filled with examples of repentance. Brothers and sisters, we need to understand this. If we truly repent, we are truly sorry for what we have done and we show that not only by our words but by our attitude and yes even if necessary by our actions. The Ninevites were truly sorry for what they have done. And this is the promise of mercy. This is how mercy can work. If I truly repent, and this is the last half of the statement, then God will relent. If I truly repent, then God will relent. Verse 10 says this, When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their evil way, then God relented of the disaster which He had declared He would bring on them. So He did not do it. If you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to underline that last sentence there. He did not not do it. The word for relent there is also the word for repent, not the same word that the Ninevites did when they turned, but here in this case, the word here for relent is also repent, but it is meaning more like changing of one's mind. Now, for many Christians and theologians, this causes heartburn. God can change his mind? What does that mean? I thought God is sovereign, God is all-knowing, God is all-powerful, God is all-present. What is this changing mind stuff? And by the way, when we think of God changing His mind, we think of it, of course, from a human perspective, right? And how many times we have changed our mind, and sometimes people were surprised, by the way, that, they, that we've changed our mind because sometimes maybe we change our mind on things that we should not have changed our mind on and we change our mind on things that was not inconsistent with our character and we change our mind on things that was not consistent in morality or ethics or how we want to live our lives, but nonetheless, we change our minds and we think of changing your mind as now all of a sudden being waffling and not in control and being inconsistent and being unreliable and all of those things on and on and on and on and on and therefore, as Christians and theologians, some of us think we can't have that. God can't change his mind. It's just not possible. Because if God changes his mind, what else could he change? Is his promises true? Is, his, are his, are, you know, is what he said going to actually be what he does? And the problem with that, I think, in many ways, is the reason why so many Christians struggle with this is because if you default, as I shared last week, to God's judgment, if you believe that God is just first and foremost going to show His judgment, when you don't understand that God defaults to His mercy first, then when He does something like this, it wrecks us. Wait, God, you said you were going to destroy the Ninevites. And you didn't do it. But what we forget is that God never acts beyond His character and who He is. He is never inconsistent. Yes, God seems to have changed his mind. And by the way, there are some neat theological gymnastics we can do to kind of say, well, God really didn't change his mind. He was toying with us the entire time. He knew what was going to happen. It's all good, all that kind of stuff. And it brings us comfort and we can sleep well at night and wake up the next day and know that God is still there and, and wonderful and, and he fits neatly into our boxes And until he does it again. That's what's going on here. God did relent. The promise that he, or the the thing that he said he would do to destroy Nineveh, he did not do. And I don't know about you, but I am grateful that God, by the way, that still can hang over us, even today, is that we will be destroyed unless we repent. That is still there. For those who do not yet know Jesus, there is a day of judgment in which they will not unfortunately, survive that day of judgment. They will be punished, punished for all eternity. But the promise is always there. If we are willing to repent, God will relent. God will relent. We live in a time in which God has this unbelievable mercy. Yes, there is the promise of judgment, or not the promise, rather, but the threat of judgment. It does hang over us. But here's the thing, is that there is the hope that if we are truly sorry for what we have done and we turn back to Him, He will not follow through on it. He will not follow through on it. And now, as a result, this can become our reality. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says this, Therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help at the time of our need. Someone said this, grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy is when God doesn't give us what we deserve. Grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve, but mercy is when God doesn't give us what we do deserve every single one of us here today don't deserve Jesus we don't deserve to be in his presence we don't even deserve to be sitting in these chairs worshiping him we don't deserve it at all at all what we do deserve is death and separation forever that's what the Ninevites deserved that's what Jonah deserved and here's the irony of the whole Jonah story so far, is Jonah is the most successful prophet, and he never wanted to be. He couldn't help but turn people to to God, even when he was running away, people came to know God's mercy. When he went to preach to the Ninevites, people came to know God's mercy. You know what the beauty of that is? It's not the beauty of Jonah, it's the beauty of God's will, will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. If we don't preach mercy... The very rocks themselves will cry out. If we don't do it, God will find someone else. By the way, the church, Big C Church, will not die, but local churches can and do. They lose their way. They forget their mission. They are no longer humble. They are no longer following. They are no longer gracious. They are no longer preaching mercy. They are no longer defaulting to that position They get lost, they get caught up, they get whatever. And there are churches today that are all caught up. And the biggest thing for us as a church is to not get caught up in the cultural, political, etc., etc. stuff of our time, thinking that we can put on whatever God says in the Bible and apply those things to political situations or political candidates or whatever else or whatever it is. I was reading about Christians who are using the religious exemption clause to get out of wearing masks. Really? I don't see a single verse in there in the Bible about how we can claim a religious exemption from wearing a mask. However, I do see in the Scriptures for us, possibly, possibly, of needing, of, of wearing a mask. Moses wore a mask. <laughs> when he came down from meeting with God, by the way, remember that? His face was shining so brightly, the people of Israel were like, ah... Moses, that freaks us out. He would put a mask on. Okay. (laughs) Right? Careful. I'm not saying that's an application that we should wear masks. I'm not saying it's not an application to wear masks. Here's what I am saying. Stop it. That's what I'm saying. Repent. (laughs) Some of us here today, we need to repent. I'm one of them. We need to be reminded of God's mercy. One of the things that, as um, elders, we've been working on, and we are going to make contact with all of you who are members and regular tenders here at Summit Ridge shortly, in the next several weeks, to schedule times to want to meet with you and hear your heart. As I shared in that letter that I sent out to you, one of the things that said that that people have been asking at least is, "What what is the end game on this, Dan? What is the what is the hope after this?" And one of the hopes is is necessary if 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 given the opportunity from what you all may share, is that we would wind up in what is called a reconciliation service in which the leadership would come forward and confess, hey, we we did some things that were not good and we're so sorry. We made decisions that were not good and we're sorry. And we confess those things to you. We repent of those things. We have done things that have caused division and hurt and pain in people's lives. And we're sorry. We don't know what those things are yet. We're going to listen to you all. And maybe you'll share them. And that's not just to be cute. That's because this is what we are called to do. My hope is, is that in response is that we'll be reconciled because we have at the end not God's judgment but God's mercy. That's the beauty of mercy is that if you and I repent, God relents. So let's spend some time right now repenting, confessing in our own hearts. Maybe there are things we did even this morning, thoughts we had, Words that we may have said, actions we may have done, that we just need to take some time and repent. Ask for God's mercy. I want to create some space for that a little bit this morning. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And as they do, let's bow our heads and let's open our hearts to Jesus right now. Father, I am so grateful, Jesus, that in your coming, that in the words that you spoke while you were here, that in the actions that you did, the miracles you performed, it was a desire to call people back to you. Jesus, this morning, as your people, we know we have not yet arrived. We know that there is still sinfulness and brokenness in our hearts. We know, Jesus, that we have caused hurt in other people's lives. We know, Jesus, that we have fallen short, that we have missed the mark, that we have hurt not only others, but we have hurt you, Jesus. Father, we confess these things in the quietness of our hearts right now. Forgive us for these attitudes. Forgive us for these words, these actions, these thoughts. Have mercy on us, Jesus. May we not die in these sins, but rather may we be restored by your mercy. Jesus, I pray. that we would once again be reminded of your deep love for us. And not only for us, but for those who do not yet know you. May we look at others who do not yet know you with the same compassion, the same love, the same mercy, the same eyes that you look at them. And in Father, may we, unlike Jonah, be obedient in sharing your word with them. in those times when we're not ready to do that, in those times in which we resist it, Jesus, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.